So I'm here with Thomas Menezi, better known on Instagram and also on YouTube uh, as Congo Nature Photography. How are you, man? Hi. I'm, I'm good, thank you, and I'm really happy <laughs> to be the host of uh, that amazing uh, podcast that I'm following now since the first episode. So to, to be part of the podcast, it's quite amazing. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast well thank you for joining me and um i must say i've been following you also for some time now um i think we first connected actually many years ago you actually recently reminded me on a facebook of a message you'd sent me on facebook i think this was 10 years ago it was it was 10 years ago when i started to do aquascaping it was at the very beginning uh and when you contacted me to do the podcast i said Gosh, I sent him a message like 10 years ago. Let me check. And I checked and the message was still there. So I sent it to you. It was pretty funny to see that. Yeah, definitely. And it's been, uh, I don't use a Facebook too often. So I, I might've even missed it back then, but it was cool. It was a cool reminder. And um, so, but definitely on Instagram, um, I'm always excited when one of your posts pop up in my feed, because let me tell you, man, your uh, underwater footage, especially, and especially the focus on Anubius has been a source of, uh, great inspiration to me, uh, because number one, the footage is just gorgeous and getting to see the actual environments, uh, that we all seek to reference in some kind of way in our aquascaping is just, it's just one of the coolest things. And I'm just so grateful that there's uh, people like yourself out there providing that kind of footage. But uh, the focus on Anubius especially uh, gets my attention uh, because it's just such an important aquarium plant, uh, not, not just in what we call aquascaping, but in really all of freshwater aquarium keeping. If we're going to have a plant in there, uh, the Anubius... Maybe, maybe the most important aquarium plant, uh, and I don't know if it's ever been looked at that way, but it certainly is to me. But before we jump in on that, I have a lot of questions about Anubius, actually. Uh, but um, because I need to know for myself, too, give us a little bit of your background, how you find yourself in the Congo, and okay. um, just exactly kind of your history with aquarium keeping and and now this uh, West African exploration. Okay, well, first, thank you for your kind words, words regarding my Instagram and the work I'm doing there. So I'm more active on Instagram and I'm really happy to hear that uh, aquascapers like you are inspired by my pictures because this is uh, the truly mean of uh, my account on Instagram. It's to share the Congolese biotop and to inspire people to do or Congolese biotops or at least some scenarios that I'm sharing on on face on Instagram. So uh, how did I end up in Congo? My grand my grandfather arrived in uh, in DRC in the 40s after uh, at the end of the Second World War, and uh, he had my father. That my father is born on the eastern part of uh, DRC. So my so my father is half Congolese and half Italian, because my grandfather was Italian. 
And my mother uh, came in Congo uh, in 48 or 49 uh, with her father because he was a, a vet for the colony. And after my parents met, and then I'm born and raised in uh, Jersey, I did uh, French, uh, the French school. Then I went in south of France to do uh, my college. So I have a degree in uh, finance and uh, managing. So nothing, nothing connected to fish. And uh, then after that, I came back to Congo to work uh, in the family company. And since I'm five years old, I've been keeping fishes in aquarium. Always wanted to go fish on, in the Congo River, in the Malebo pool. And then in, I think it was in 2010, I encountered a picture of uh, Amatakashi Amanu, like, like you, you did, but it was with a book. Um, and then I said, what is that hobby? So I started to look pictures and learn and I knew about CO2, etc. But as I was living in the earth, it was very complicated for me. And then I did a trip to Thailand in 2011 and I went to the, I went to the ADA shops and I bought uh, the lights, the CO2, etc. And I started to do aquascaping. And in 2014, uh, 2018, I started to do biotop aquarium due to a trip with Heiko Blair to the river Foix. I bring back some fishes and then I started to do biotop aquarium. And from there, when I was doing biotops aquarium, I decided to do some photography of the different rivers. And one day I shared a picture with, a picture with uh, Scott Feldman from uh, Tannin Aquatics. And he pushed me to do an Instagram account and say, you, you should share your pictures of uh, DRC because no one knows the biotope of the Congo. We know the fish, we know the, the scientific parameters, etc. but we don't know how it is, how the, the roots are going the, into the water, what is the color of the water, how is the sand and etc. And so he pushed me, pushed me, pushed me, then I, I did it. And I think it was a good choice. I'm still doing it as a hobby to share with, with all my, uh, all, all the followers and, uh, I'm quite happy to do it. I'm getting some satisfaction to do it. So it's, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's great. And we're very grateful that you decided to do it too, because uh, like you said, it's, uh, we know the plants, we know many of the fishes, um, and, you know, really in terms of the regions of the planet that were gathering the most tropical fishes, uh, these three primary tropical zones, of course, uh, South America, or what we just say the Amazon, uh, we have the, the Southeast Asian, uh, region, and then we have this West African region. I would say of the three, the West African region may be the sort of least known about or the least, uh, there's just not, doesn't seem to be as much common information about no. this West African region out there. Because most of the countries have been in war and uh, on right. the 90s and the beginning of the the millennium. So uh, 
not much of aquarists or people were do, go, going there to do expedition and it's very hard to go there to do expedition with authorization. That's why we have a gap of information and footage. Okay, that 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 definitely makes sense. Uh, you mentioned too doing a expedition with Heiko Blair. Yeah, uh, was that just something you've done one time with him? Uh, twice. Multiple trips. It was two times. It was two times in 2018 and 2021. 21. No, last okay. year. 22. 22 was last year. Right. When when Heiko comes there, I'm just curious. Does he already know where he wants to go? Or, uh, yes, he, he knows. He knows where he wants to go. Uh, as he came in DRC, I think, 39 times. Uh, so he exactly knows where he wants to go, what he wants to find. Uh, unfortunately, in DRC, you cannot travel everywhere. It's very hard to get the, the papers. And even when you get the papers, you, you get hassled by the people and by the, the authorities. So... Sometimes it's hard, and also the roads are not correct. So many times I tell him uh, the time when he came, I say, "Okay, this this side we cannot go, or this side the car cannot pass. This side is too dangerous, so we change." But usually we do at least two destinations that he wants to do, and we do one destination then that I choose. So it was very nice. We had two, uh, let's say. One, two, three, four trips in different area, and it was very nice. We we spent a good time. I I have to say it may it may be a little unrelated to uh, aquarium related topics, but uh, what we do know, let's just say in the U.S. or you know out outside of Africa, about the region is that it is um, you know obviously we have many decades of. Uh, political strife and conflict there, et cetera. Um, could you just tell me a little briefly just what it's like to, to live there? Um, and then in terms of, you know, when you want to go out on an exploration or you want to go to one of the rivers and this kind of thing, does that something that requires a lot of additional planning on your part or are you pretty much free to move about and, and do those sorts of things or uh, I guess I was curious what it what sort of the day-to-day -day life is like there so uh, I live in the the capital of uh, DRC Kinshasa it's a, a very huge town uh, we don't know exactly how how many people are there uh, we estimate between 13 million to 15 million people in the, the town of Kinshasa uh, so the town is quite dense. There is a lot of people. Uh, of course, huge, huge traffic like in LA, but we don't follow the lines. Some go on the sidewalks. The other go on the on the wrong way. So moving into the town is hard. It's uh, stressful because dangerous car coming everywhere, motorcycles. You get hassled by the police because unfortunately you're a white person even if I had black, black blood in my veins and even if I speak fluently the language of the country. Uh, so it's can, it can be stressful. Working in DRC, it's a huge challenge uh, due, to, due to all the parameters you can face as the formation of the, the level of formation of the people, uh, the problem with the people of the, the government, the different institutions, and etc. 
uh, I'm working in road transport, so I have trucks. So the road, the roads are in bad condition. So working in, in DRC, it's very hard, very stressful. Uh, you, you work quite a lot. It's not the same life than when you live in the province, like in the Katanga region, you go for the mining work less, it's less stressful. And if you want, at least something good is that we have nature around and, uh, we can enjoy ourselves on the, every Sunday when the water level is good, we can go on the Congo river inside the, the Malebo pool. Uh, there are some sand banks in the middle of the, the Malebo pool. So we go with the family and we spend the day there. We have a small boat, a uh, 17 foot boat. So it's a very small boat. We are multiple friends who have boats like that. And we just go there. We spend the day there. Some are fishing, uh, like me, I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to see aquatic plants and things like that. And others are playing volleyball, beach volley and things like that. So at least we have access to, to the nature quite easily. Then after, uh, if I go to the Anubia spots, uh, the Anu Anubia Bay, it's like two and a half to three hours trip from my home. I don't need any authorization because it's in the same province and it's close to my home. But then when you plan to go outside of uh, the province of Kinshasa, you will need uh, a passport, a passport. I, you have to travel with your passports because you will have immigration, uh, roadblocks. They're going to check, uh, they will ask you for a mission paper because you cannot, uh, you cannot travel inside the country like that. It's quite complicated for, for a foreigner, even if you are West African or if you are not Congolese to travel inside the Congo, it's, it's quite hard. So at least I, I know people from the conservation institution and the minister of tourism. So when I want to do trips like that, I, I write, I write official letters so I can get the papers. So yes, you can go fish around in Chassa. You have a lot of rivers and you can find nice things, but as soon as you want to go outside and further, then you need papers. But it's quite free. Huh? When you go for the Anubia spots, you, you pass the, the airport and then just uh, driving inside the nature and you reach a place, you enter a road, you just go down to the river. So that's, that's quite amazing. Wow. Very interesting. Uh, so when you find the Anubias, is the, are they, is this something that's common throughout the Congo or like you say, is these specific areas or regions that you're needing to travel to, um, or is that a common plant? At least for the parts I've seen, um, let's say from the lower Congo, um, so from from the town of Boma to up to the, the highland, the Bateke highlands, where you're going a bit like uh, northeast. It's quite common plan on, uh, along the shore, but you don't find it in huge quantity. Uh, you will maybe find on the, let's say a stretch of one or two kilometers, you will find like tens, uh, patches of Anubias. So it's a quite common plant, but you don't find it a lot like the pictures I'm sharing, because this is a completely particular habitat okay. that I can explain after that, after, after that. 
Usually sure. you find them along uh, the riverbanks on, on quite, they like to be on quite uh, vertical plants. So the, the, the water is flowing there. They like to stay on vertical plants. Most of the time I can share you multiple pictures if you need after to, to show in the, the podcast. Of course, they like hard uh, substrates, so roots, rocks. Many times it's roots because we don't have a lot of rocks in, in the RC, but as soon as you have rocks in this environment, you find some anovias. And something that I find, it's like 90% of the time when I see anovia in the wild, they got uh, around around the roots, there are always some, some moss growing. Always, like 90% of the time, there is moss growing. Okay. And I think it helps to get the roots moist all the time. So this would be out of the like more out of the water, out of more the water. emergent. Yeah. Okay. So you're along the riverbank there, and you've got moss out of the water again, but out of the water, sort of attached or growing within and around the roots of the plant. Around the roots, yeah. And sometimes oh, you get some some waves of the river coming, and it's just leaping over. Okay. Uh, but most of the time, they grow uh, out of the water. Uh, let's say in 90 percent of the time, like like most of the aquatic plants, they they like sure. to stay on the river banks. And if, um, also the problem is that we have quite uh, dark water. The the black water of of the Congo's is very dark. So I think as soon as you go deep in the water, let's say thirty centimeter, the light is not sufficient to do a proper photosynthesis. Uh, photosynthesis. Okay, interesting. You can sometime and have like a big patch of fifty centimeter long, and you have twenty centimeter in the water, and the rest uh, growing out of the water. So I think the plants that are out of the water are providing the nutrients and the CO two and uh, the energy they're getting from the photosynthesis for for the part that is underwater. So that's for the typical one. The pictures I'm sharing it's something completely different. Okay. This is a, cl a lot of the pictures and videos are from a much clearer water. Yeah. And in this case, the, is the, is the plant sub submerged all the time in those environments? Is it growing full-time underwater? So that's the only place, um, I've encountered, uh, anubias in clear water. In fact, it's a small spring, a small, uh, cart karst spring like you have uh, i think it's the silver spring you have in uh in florida or the blue spring sure so yeah, it's silver springs quite yeah. of the same but in a very small uh, scale so water is coming from uh, underground uh, you have white sand as it's coming from underground it's co2 rich water with a lot of nutrients the water is uh, crystal clear you can see by by my pictures that the water is very, very clear. And in fact, it's very small. You have, it started by a, it starts by a small stream of maybe 50 meter, and then it enters the, the ground level. So it's going down on that small stream for 50 meter. And then it reached the level of the Lufini river. That is a black water. And there, uh, when that small stream reached the same level than the Lufini, it starts uh, going wider, let's say 
10 meters wide or some someplace 15 meters. Uh, and it flows into that uh, river. So you have a small part of 10 meter on 50 meter long of crystal clear water with full of sea of, uh, of Anubias, as you can see on the pictures. And it's a permanent underwater colony. During the low sea, the, the dry season, the water gets down, let's say, for almost a meter. But still, you have some part of the plants of the Anubias that permanently underwater, permanently. Wow. Very interesting. So clearly, it's most natural habitat where you would find it most of the time would be out of the water. And I guess that's just, uh, it's why it's such a versatile and, and useful plant in all different types of uh, aquarium keeping in okay. that it's rather happy to grow out of the water, but of course it does well <laughs> under the water too. But without the big conversion, you know, like I guess most of the epiphytes, there's not a big difference between the out of the water leaf and the under the water leaf. Um it but just there doesn't, is. Cha doesn't, doesn't change that much. When it's along the rivers and it's growing, let's say, out of the water, um, I'm assuming, you know, the leaves themselves are are completely dry there and then just the the roots. They're complete, completely dry, yes. Right. But the roots are always wet. Yeah, moist, not wet, not damp, uh, damp wet, but like moist. Okay, so I'm trying to get a feel too for you know just other ways in which we could use the plant in uh, different types of aquarium uh, systems because now of course we have things like you know ADA is calling it aqua terrarium you know which is this is uh -huh. somewhere between paludarium and terrarium. Uh, I love it. That's my next move. <laughs> no, I'm really really getting into it myself, and um, you know of course. Anubias is just a, such a great species for these setups, but um, so something where we're making a nice transition from out of the water to under the water is exactly uh, it would yeah. be beautiful. Yeah, entirely possible. But yeah, always when they're growing outside, uh, not not always, but many many times the the leaves are are dry. You can compare the leaves because I've seen on that particular spot, I've seen. Part of the Anubias growing uh, submerged and emerge, and there is clearly a difference in the leaves. Uh, the leaves okay. of the emerge are, as you know, most aquatic plants are sturdy. Even the coloration is darker. Um, and yes, the transition from the emerge to submerge is very beautiful. I think it would be very challenging to do it with uh, small Anubias, like uh, the one, the classic Nana we have. Or I think it would be easier to have, if you have a huge uh, aqua terrarium, I would suggest to use big Anubias and small Anubias to create a nice transition because with small Nana, you, don't, you will not have uh, big leaves. It will be like a small carpet. You won't have any contrast and, and, and uh, some... It's hard to me to find the word in, in English, huh? Some sure. depth, no, I, some I depth in, the, in the hardscape. Right. But right. I don't know if you can find uh, big Anubias in the, in the U.S. 
Uh, we can usually on, you know, or they may call it, you know, we purchase it as say mother pot. A lot of times is how it'll be uh, listed. It generally denotes, you know, a, a, a large specimen or they'll take multiple large specimens and group them together in the pot and you can buy them that way. Um, it looks from the photos and videos that I see like predominantly uh, something I, I would just refer to as maybe barteri or are, do you know when you see them out there, are you, do you know generally the named species that you're looking at? So um, I, I mostly I see three, three species um, in that clear water spot. I think there is, there is two. You have some battery, battery, sorry. And uh, the other one, but we have a description. They are asking me to get uh, the flowers so I can, we can identify to be sure. Uh, but the second one for me would be uh, coffee folia. That oh, because wow. it, okay. it has some, how do you say, some undulations. The ridges. Yeah, yeah sure. Some, yeah, the textured leaf. Some ribs. On the on the leaves, okay, right, right, reminding to the coffee for, uh, the coffee leaves also. So for yes. me, it's coffee folia. But most of the time, it's okay. battery that battery that we see most of the time. Okay. And the third one, I don't know the name. Do you do you come across maybe these? And I, you'll have to forgive me because I know very little about the actual regions the different ones come from. Uh, uh -huh. But the other, some of the other larger leaf Danubius. Uh, Apizelli, uh, uh -huh. heterophylla, uh, congensis, these other ones. Do, do, you, do you see any of these other ones? They generally have the longer, more slender leaves. Yeah, the con the congenges, they can be, they can grow huge, like the size of my head, even more. I have some pictures uh, and they come, they, they become very big. I remember the first time I've encountered uh, Anubias was Kongonjis, and we went okay. to a small waterfall called Vamba uh, Waterfall near the small town of uh, Kimpese. It's a very beautiful uh, waterfall that is in a, a small valley of maybe 30 or 50 meter wide, and that's and that uh, waterfall falls in two steps. So it's a beautiful scenery when you have the sun coming there. And I was going there with uh, my family-in-law and uh, a dear friend that passed away uh, four years ago. And I was walking and just under a huge rock, I saw some leaves coming out and I said, this must be Anubias. So I just looked down. It was in 2010. I just looked down and I saw these big leaves. So I just grabbed, grabbed and I pulled. And yes, it was a huge rhizome and a lot of big Anubia. And so I took quite a lot, a big bag of Anubia. And I bring bring it back to Kinshasa, so I put it in my uh, in my pond. And then when I moved the house, I gave. Oh, sorry, the the power went off. Um, we have some shortage, so we, we have cut the generator and we're back on the national electricity. Okay. And now my friend Thierry still have them in his pond, and I have some pictures of it in my uh, my Instagram. But I will send send you some pictures. I have my hand. I have. Big hands, like uh, the sizes of the gloves are 13 for my hand. And the leaf is just huge, huge, huge. So okay. I will send you the picture. Great. Um, yeah. It was a nice experience the first time I encountered. Yes. Now, and those are 
almost always going to be out of the water, but in a very uh, moist environment, like you say, next to a waterfall, uh, usually growing, you're saying kind of into the rocks and almost exactly what we would expect from a plant like that. Yeah. Um, really just are, the exception you... of the just the exception of the part the the clear water part where it breaks uh, most of the meats like anuvia cannot grow in the sand they grow on the sand i have pictures proving it uh they cannot uh, grow with the rhizome buried in the sand i have many pictures of uh, anubias growing with the rhizome buried and i went there like one month after, and the plant was still there, not dying, and and progressing and shooting new. So that part is completely particular, but we can relate it to the aquarium because it's full of CO two, full of nutrients and crystal clear water, so it can work sure. in an aquascape at home. Of course. So, but it's always a sandy substrate where you've found it in the wild, anyway. If it's totally submerged, this no. is pretty sandy, or yes, it, if it's it, submerged, it... submerged. No, 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 it's not submerged, not all the time, uh, Sandy, because most of the time, as I explained, they're growing on a almost vertical slope uh, near the riverbank. So you have the riverbank doing like this, and they're growing there, and with their roots, uh, with moss, m uh, uh, moss uh, some uh, leaves decaying and things like that, it creates a small micro biotop there for the roots uh, but it's not uh, sandy so usually when you encounter them they are or on the rocks or on vertical slopes even if the water rise during the, the rainy season they will stay on that hard uh, hardscape so it's only on that particular spot I have seen on the set growing in the sand okay right but that so fully underwater though it's it just sounds like it's incredibly uncommon then like you're saying you don't see it with any frequency fully submerged all the time but when you do in this places where you have seen it the rhizome itself is you know it, it's rooting into a sandy substrate that's up okay yeah that's that's very interesting because I've, I've always suspected that it uh didn't like being in like aqua soil uh, with the rhizome and the roots, uh, it it may grow there, but aside from not re ever really looking, just visually not looking that's right not, to not. me to have it uh, it planted in the in the soil, um, it would sound like that would be a a very nutrient rich, like a, a little too much for the plant because it, I you know it's common for uh, beginners, you know people people doing their first aquarium with plants, et cetera, they get some anubias. And they're and putting they them right them. in the substrate. That's uh, a very common thing. They wouldn't even ever. It would sounds. I think they're they're so shocked to hear. It's like no, no. You can just set it right on top of the woods or the rocks, and it's. Uh, it would much prefer we are to not be there. used to that. When you are right. when you are a beginner, you don't know all this information. But all these professional uh, substrates are very rich nutrient, and I think as you say, it's too much uh, for the roots. We don't have to forget that the roots are, are quite fragile and it's not the same roots than you have on stem plants like rotalas and things like that. And I think they are pumping more and uh, more nutrients because due to the size of the roots, etc. And yes, the 
the growing rhizome in the sand. Sand is, um, how do you say in English? Inert? Inert? Inert, yes. Inert substrate. And okay. They get, they're getting uh, the nutrient from the water column. So I think that's something that helps the plants to grow the rhizomberry in the sand. But also, uh, you will have, it's not like you, you will have uh, lonely plants growing in the sand. You will have a big patch of 100 plants, and then you have a, a rhizome that was shoot by the plant and then goes inside the sand and grow. But I've pulled it and it's still alive with the roots, etc. Wow. Wow. Do you ever come across any of the, like a bulbitis, any of the ferns yep. that we know West African? Only, only the bulbitis. Uh, okay. So I say, I would say with the, the French accent, bulbitis. Bulbitis, uh, yeah. I say that sometimes too. I'm not French, but <laughs> I, li I like to say it that way. <laughs> well, I think even in the Latin way, it's bulbitis. Right. And I was, uh, again, it was in, uh, in the waterfall, it, a very nice place, uh, with a lot of Anubias also there, a different type of Anubias. Uh, but then I I went there like two, three times. I didn't pay attention. At that time, I wasn't doing aquascaping. I saw the I saw the Anubia because I know the Anubias since I'm a kid. And uh, in 2012, we went there with friends and etc. And then uh, there is like four small waterfalls uh, coming from 20 meters, but if they're not very wide. It's like, two meter wide and you get there under there on the rock and you get massaged by the by the waterfall it's a very beautiful scenery and my friend was under the water the, so getting the massage and I just look on the right because there is that long wall of rock uh, where the waterfall comes down but it's not a lot of rocks it's like very flat with some cracks and I looked and I looked to the plant I said that is Bolbitis so I grabbed and I looked and I checked and yes, it was Volpitis. That's the only time I've, I have encountered it. And okay. I never went back there since then. Uh, yeah, I went back, but I didn't, I wasn't on Instagram things. And so I, I didn't share sure. proper pictures, but you can see on my Instagram, I have some pictures. I will send you also after that. We can, we can, I can send you the pictures. Sure. And it was growing vertical in the cracks, uh, Permanent is splashed by water. Nice, nice. So, but it, you wouldn't see it necessarily in the same environments that you see Anubias in terms of just where you've encountered it. When you see the big patches of Anubias in the wild, you're you're not seeing the bulbitis around that same area no, usually. No. Okay. Okay. And I know the uh, some of the like what we call red tiger lotus and these different lotuses. Uh -huh. These are. Uh -huh. Do you ever, you ever, we ever encounter those out in the wild too? When I was in the equatorial region near the town of uh, Basan Kusu, uh -huh. uh, it's an, an area where you have very red, black water. The rivers are, I can even say red water. Uh, Sometimes wow. it's even pink, like uh, in English, maybe we say fuchsia, fuchsia. Wow. Okay. It's and like it's a pinkish color. The color. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, yes, color. would be a, almost like we would say hot pink. <laughs> and uh, there, I have seen uh, the red tiger, uh, ninfea. Right. A very, a very, very nice plant. I have seen it growing 
on the what on the surface water, but also underwater. Uh, you have some. Uh, it's quite amazing how they can get light down there. But uh, when I'm saying down there, it's like one meter. And when you have a black water to see one meter to reach the light there, it's very very hard. Okay. Uh, I am some. I have some pictures also. I will. I will send you. But it's quite. It's quite common. Quite common. So you've you've seen those the nymphaeas growing, in waters where it's it's quite dark. In other words, they're not necessarily yeah. getting a, a bright light, uh, which is always interesting to know. And even with blue light, they can get big leaves, and uh, growing quite short. They don't grow necessarily long. Even if they don't have strong light. Okay. So they, you you may see them growing bigger or taller, bigger leaves in the lower light situation, which I've always sort of reasoned it's the plant is wanting to absorb more light. So it's it's going to yeah, grow higher. It's sure. going to have a bigger leaf. And that, that would be uh, something you've observed in the wild too. So the lower light scenario gets you the bigger leaf, which is... You know, to, to me, any of these insights you can get about what these plants are actually doing in the wild is is very useful in how we think about using them in the aquarium. Where we're generally in aquascaping, we're often using too much light, I think, for many, what many of what these plants want. A hundred percent. hundred percent we're using too much light. But because we are we are using too much light because we want to reach certain goal, certain uh, pace of growth. For others, certain uh, redness of the plants. So yes, we're using too much, too much light uh, in aquascaping, for sure. But it's for certain reason. Right. Many of the Anubias I've found, I've gotten more into uh, non-CO2. You know, very simple layouts. Really, more since I have a a retail store now, and you know, there's just more demand especially, you know, with people that want something simple or low maintenance or they're beginners, uh -huh. uh, because my, I actually, unlike most people, I start, I started with CO2. I, I never really did much in the way of like non-CO2 or lower energy uh, tanks. Even when I did a lot of Anubias, it, you know, I would always have CO2 and probably too much light. And I adopted a sense that, you know, this is just what was needed to grow any plant in an aquarium, you know, many years ago. And so I, what I found in, you know, the past years of doing a lot more, uh, you know, what we just sometimes call low-tech uh, layouts, is many of the Anubias, they will grow even with no light on the aquarium. Or, you know, if they For aren't sure. growing, really, they're not dying. I mean, they're definitely they're alive and they're, they're not putting out a lot of leaves, but they're, uh, it's something I love about the plant is that it looks like it's been there a long time. The first day you put it in um, is always one of the really charming things about working with Anubias. And so, and I find for, you know, beginners and people wanting something, you know, again, lower maintenance, uh, it's a real advantage to them to have that sort of uh, gratification of the little layout looking like something nice, you know, very quickly by just placing plants like Anubias and a couple of different leaf sizes, et cetera, uh, you get a very nice impact straight away. I mean, you could really do it to make it look like it's a very mature layout, even in exactly. the first days. Very uh, easily. Is, yeah. 
I think it's maybe due to the plant itself, how it is with big roots, multiple roots, rhizome, leaves that are not common in the hobby. Right. And yeah, it gives straight away, it gives a big impact, even if it's not the, the main, let's say character of the aquascape, you, you will still have the, the eye captured by it and drag it to the Anubia, even if sure. it's not the, the main plant of the, the aquascaping and maybe there is a Rotala or a species like Ludwigia that you, you would put it in phases in your aquascaping. But if you put an Anubia, still though, your eye will go there. It's a very nice plant for beginners also. Yeah, no, that's very true. Actually, I've, I've never really thought of it that way, but that kind of that, that leaf, that contrasting leaf shape is something that does draw your attention even if it's out of the way you know it gets your attention and and perhaps it's just a it's such a balancing force yeah you know, I, I i almost have to make an effort to not use anubias in my layouts most of the time because it might be the ultimate plant to for you know just filling in the gaps and it's almost just too good to be true that there's such a a a, a charming and beautiful plant that we can just set right into the space between driftwood and stone or this kind of thing. And it's just very happy to be there, uh, not getting much light, um, et cetera. I, I, you know, I would probably call it the most important plant in, in, in aquarium, in the aquarium hobby. I mean, if we had to, yes. if we had to pick one and just settle on it, it would, it would be Anubius in almost all of its, uh, variations. If you talk in the general sense of the, the hobby, yes, totally, because everyone is using it. Uh, sure. The people that want to keep, even if they're beginner, they want to keep uh, rift African rift uh, cichlids, they will take Anubia. Um, That's true. They, they you can you put it anywhere, to, anywhere, anywhere, and everyone is buying it because even if the the leaves die, it will grow back. And true. It's not a demanding plant, as you say. If there is no light on the tank on the aquarium, but the aquarium is next to a window, it will still grow. It will not die. It's a very sturdy plant and a very nice, very, very nice plant. And I think most, I can, I can say when I post pictures of Anubias or I post pictures of other things on my Instagram, there, there is no same impact. The Anubias right. gets 1000 likes, uh, the rest gets 300, 500. Okay. I post the video, I got 11,000 view on Anubias, but I get 6,000 on, on the other, on the rest. Yeah. So that would be have such important impact. It is. It's it's just a plant that we, you know, we all, everyone's kept it and to get to see it in the wild. Yeah, that's why I've, I just thought the way in which you're exposing it is so special because, again, we just don't get to see that very often. I had a similar conversation uh, with Heiko about the, you know, just just the fact that so much of Amazon, Amazon's gotten much more attention you know, we, we have a much better sense of, even though obviously there's many remote areas and there's areas that probably, you know, sometimes Heiko's the only one that's been there. It sounds like, you know, some of these regions where he's done collecting, but um, even the Southeast Asian uh, realm, we, we tend to have a little broader sense of the fishes and the plants from there, but, the, but West Africa, not so much so. Um, and that's why, again, I think people just, they love seeing this plant that they, they know so well, um, 
you know, in its natural habitat. And I'll say again, just how surprised I've been at uh, the the amount of light or, or the lack of light, I should say, uh, where the plant is doing very well. It's actually been quite surprising to me. I'll have, you know, small cubes and, and, and small, small aquariums with no light on the aquarium. It's just getting an ambient light or, you know, it's getting enough natural light it's not completely dark, but um, and between that and no CO2, there's some Anubius types that I found they may be doing better without adding CO2. And that, that could be because the non-CO2 setting tends to be lower light. Um, but I've, I've been so shocked, and I'm sure there's people that's been keeping, you know, simple, low-tech aquariums even ones with no filter, you know, just using a window light, et cetera, for years going, well, yes, Jeff, that's, <laughs> I've been doing that forever. It's, it's kind of new to me, to be honest, as somebody who started more again with uh, kind of high-tech aquascaping and trying to carpet plants and, you know, try, I want to have a, you know, I'm looking at a mono, a mono nature cornwall book one through three, and I'm trying to have the rickia growing on the entire aquascape with the purling and everything uh that 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 was my first obsession with really any i mean many many years ago um mostly my brother mike he he was using a, a lot of anubias and you know mixing with the java ferns and things doing i guess what would now be called low tech tank back then we didn't really have any clear sense of using co2 so um it was just if you were going to do a planted tank and you wanted to be sure the plants were going to grow, then that style was just, you know, it was kind of almost all that there was. Yes, I was doing the same also, Anubias and Java ferns. Right, right. But um, I find it interesting too, something I'm really attracted to is this idea where the moss is growing in the roots. Um to know that that's sort of a natural thing that you're seeing in the wild uh, is eye-opening and I think, you know, very useful because it's a it's a fantastic look uh, to integrate the mosses there. It sounds yes. like it could be some, something very natural for the for Anubias to, to have based on what you're seeing in the wild. And can work also uh, on the transition you, you were talking about for the right. terrarium. Uh, you right. can put uh, on the vertical slope some anubias growing and the moss growing uh, in between the roots and then it goes in the water and the moss get bigger and the anubias aside, it, it will work very well. But you know, uh, sometimes when you speak with people, uh, you got things popping out when they do some uh, affirmations. And uh, I, was talk I was explaining you that most of the time out of the water, um, they are growing most inside the roots of the anubias. And then we were talking and then I just realized I got some pictures of uh, still in the same clear water habitat. You have uh, a rock that I know that when the water is low, it's outside of the water. So you have that, that rock, some small anubias growing on it and with the moss. And when it's out of the water, so the water is low, the moss grows a bit around, but then when the water comes up again, the most stay short, but still don't die. And I just realized that, uh, I have seen, I have seen it 
outside of the washer and inside of and submerged on the same place. So yeah, most of the time you have that moss growing around uh, the, the Danubia, very most of the time. And I wanted also to come back um, when you were explaining that uh, they need, they, they like low light. And yes, when I see them in streams, I will not see them on the open uh, riverbank where there is no, no trees. Most of the time they are under the tree where it's very shady. Okay. And that's something I just realized when, when we, when we are, we are, we are talking and it's a very, very beautiful plant, very strutty, very, very interesting plants. You can do so much different aquascape with them, uh, different system with water leaping on it and it will not die. It will stay there, uh, permanent underwater, permanently outside of the water. Do you see any of these, um, are there any of the smaller leafed species of Anubias? Do you ever see those around? Or are most of those uh, like cultivars or plants that are being done by the nurseries? I know, of course, Anubias nana, you know, petite, uh, which is just, I mean, everywhere in aquascaping just because it's it's just so, it's such a practical plant, so useful yeah. for so many things. Um, but do you just, do you think when you, I've looked through some of the uh, clips and photos on your Instagram, for example, and sometimes I do see what looks like a much smaller leaf, but I'm I'm suspecting that that's just a smaller leaf of the bigger plant. So I'm I'm pretty sure you're referring of uh, some pictures I took back in 2018 with uh, at the expedition with Heiko. Uh, we went uh, to a very remote uh, waterfall. It was the Anubia paradise, millions of Anubias everywhere. And uh, there is a, a picture where I'm holding a piece of sand, mud, I don't know, vegetals, decaying matters. And there is very small Anubias. There is huge also growing on it, some moss. And we, we spoke a lot with Heiko regarding that particular uh, Anubia because when we were on site, we picked it and I said, Heiko, it's very small. He said, it's very, very small. And I suspect it to be a new species that we don't know. He said, take, take some at home. And when we reach home, we take proper picture, we clean, we check the rhizome, etc. And then we took some bunch of Anubias that were there so we can compare. And when we came back, he's always working. Even if it's midnight, he wants to work. He wants to make the pictures, etc. So I woke up the next morning and he came to me and he said, these are not a new species. It's the same species that we see that are quite big with the, at least the leaves. I'm talking in metric system, sorry. Uh, the leaves are 15 centimeter. So it's not the small one. He said, I've cleaned everything. I have looked everything and it's not a new, a new species. So I have not, I have not unfortunately encountered Anubia with small leaves. Maybe I will. I don't know. I hope. Sure. I can't. I just worked for the first time with a, you know, it was made available in a tissue culture, uh, which it's so interesting to see Anubias now in tissue culture cups. It's just something I've, I I mean, I guess everything, if it can be grown this way and done efficiently, it's great. Yes. It's just a plant I didn't expect to see in tissue culture uh, format, but, um, you know, it's just another very small round leaf 
Anubius. They're calling it mini coin. Yes, I have seen it. Yeah, really charming. It's very nice. Really, yeah. But if it gets algae, it will be hard to clean and to. But it's yeah, a very the hard nice one to one. trim. Yeah, yeah. But very cool. But uh, I'm assuming again, these are just more than likely plants that the nurseries are producing by different crosses and different uh-huh. sort of uh, way in which they're breeding and growing the plant. Um, in other words, you're you're see, predominantly in the wild. We're going to see the broad-leafed, the big, the big-leaf version. Also, um, the type of environment where the leaves have an impact on the leaf size uh, and uh, stem, the stem size also. If they're staying close to the water in an area where the water is flowing quite fast, so uh, there are waves and water splashing on them. Even if they're out of the water, you have water splashing on them, leaping on them, and moving them around a lot. You will not see big leaves and, and long stems, mostly small stems, five centimeters with small leaves. But you take the same plant, you put it in your, your aquarium or on a rock uh, on top of the water surface. It will grow long stem and a bigger leaf. So the, okay. there is an impact of the place where they live, the, how the environment changed the, the form, the morph of the I see. Plant. I see. I wanted to come back also on, on one sure. small thing. Sorry. Uh, no, uh, no, when you were, we were talking about the Nenfea red, uh, tig- red tiger, mm-hmm. and we were saying that in lower light, they can get uh, more uh, bigger leaves so they can absorb more light. Now that, that I think in the river Foix, it's the crystal clear river that it's extremely, extremely beautiful. I think you have seen some of, or some of my videos on yes. Instagram. Uh, for those that doesn't know river Foix, just go on my Instagram or you can just type river Foix on uh, YouTube and it's amazing river. Yes. I have seen, I'm, I'm not sure about the, the species. But I will check it when we finish and I will send you a picture or a video. But I think it's also the red tiger and the water is very clear there. And uh, the Ninfea red tiger I've seen there had small leaves. Even if they were growing underwater at say one meter or 50 centimeter, they, they had small leaves. But getting, so getting more light, it, obviously clear water and a yeah, brighter. Yeah, so it's giving sense and it's giving accreditation to what you just said, that when it's low light for these species, they, they grow bigger. And when there's high light, they don't need that much. And it was also redder than the, the one I've encountered in low light. I, I just wanted to come back to that. No, I appreciate that, definitely, because there's there's been times when I tried to use it you know, in a in an aquascape situation, you know, with many other species of plants, and uh, it's such a fantastic look when they, you know, when you get these nymphaeas to grow to the top, and then you have the leaf up at right at the surface, touching the surface, um, and we see the stem flowing down, you know, to the substrate. It's it's just a wonderful effect in an aquarium, but. Uh, it's sometimes for me been a little unpredictable if it was going to grow to the top in this way or just stay sort of low. It's an easy enough plant to grow, 
But uh, that's where again you these never insights, know how it's yeah yeah these insights to me are super valuable just from that standpoint of just getting some confirmation of how they're growing in the wild, um, and and someone right there looking at it in in you know the Congo in West Africa you know in the region it's from, and saying yes I've seen it growing like this in this setting and differently in another, um, to me is genuinely valuable. I think it a lot of it points to also the origins of aquascaping and uh, what Mr. Amano was really trying to point to. And when he said nature aquarium, um, you know, Heiko pointed out to me uh, in a conversation that the Amano didn't use the word aquascaping. That came later. Yes. Uh, for him, it was always nature aquarium. And, um, you know, the, the idea of high light or high energy and then l low light, shade plants, what he called philosophy, you know, the philosophy of your aquascape would seek to incorporate that, that balance or that emphasis, you know, on one over the other or a balance of the two, what we might call in, in, in photography, dynamic range, you know, our range from our highlights yes. to our shadows, et cetera. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a, just a huge lesson for me to, be exposed to that idea of how to create that underwater scene, which is where this kind of information you're providing, I think, is just right in line with that idea of nature aquarium and sort of, again, the the range, the way the plant's going to grow. And, uh, you know, I think people are really responding more and more to, to the biotope style aquarium and the the more and more natural that it's looking, if it, it can just sort of have something that just feels inside, you know, something in our heart resonates with the, something that look, it just look, we use this word natural because we don't, we just have to use language to describe these things, yeah. right? But, you know, this natural feeling, uh, but still with sort of composition and, and you know, the, the, the balance of the elements uh, is... You know, this resonates with everyone, even beyond sort of very high level or let's say competition level aquascaping, which is, you know, wonderful scenes, but sometimes not as concerned. You know, their representation of the natural is more this, what we're calling diorama style, or it's more of a, it's more of a jungle, let's say, or a forest than it is. A forest how the pl this forest look has become very, very, very sort of popular or a common theme in the very high level and competition level aquascapes. Uh, and it's wonderful. There's great artistry and everything else there, but I find it's a more universal uh, effect or that resonates with people when we're really kind of sh something that looks more like that underwater scene. What, what Mr. Amano called the nostalgic underwater scene uh -huh. um, and that word nostalgia I think is a nice one to kind of frame it because it's just it's like it's vaguely familiar we we've never seen it but we but when we see it we feel like we've been there before yeah um, when, think... when you want to reproduce something uh, that has touched you with your nature you want to reproduce yeah. nature for for sure it's, there is a side of nostalgia there is a side of uh, an emotion of missing something uh, I totally agree agree with you. And 
Uh, Amano have had such an, an impact on the hobby, uh, mostly this past 15 or 20 years. And I think even now in the world of the biotop aquarium that's growing more and more and more, uh, there is still some small impact of Amano because Amano have shown us that you need some philosophy and you need a certain art and a uh, certain way to sketch the scape so you can have some readouts that are darker, more exposed to light. But even in the biotope aquarium, the biotoper will still try to find some art and some essence in his aquarium, in his biotope, even if it's uh, representing a, a swamp in Indonesia, he will still try to put it in an aesthetic way. And I, th and I think that all this is due to aquascaping, so due to Amano. So he had a, such an impact, an important impact. Me, I'm doing you now Biotop Aquarium and I'm always thinking on the, the aesthetic part. I'm taking pictures when I take pictures. I'm not, I'm doing it with an aquarist eye. I can see that. And, um, and that's what I want to share because of course, yes, pictures are representing uh, millions of gallons and we, you will not have this in your aquarium, but at least you can have a sense, feel and a sense of the, how it can be in nature. And this is due to the impact of amanoing and aquascaping. Absolutely. No, you're, you're definitely framing it through the, through the lens and perception of of an Aquarius and, and I, I love that. It's very, it's so inspiring, even though it's just on my phone, it's that little minute of, uh, and I'm often, you know, I'm pressing with the thumb to freeze the, the, the reel for just a second and look at something. Yeah, I want to look at, hang on, let me take this scene in. Uh, I'm often doing a, you know, taking a screenshot as well. I have a whole folder. It's got many of your, <laughs> you know, uh, screenshots from your video clips on there because I'm going, okay, you know what? I need some aquascaping inspiration these are uh just priceless to be able to see uh because you know i'm i'm a long way away from any of these tropical regions myself as as are most aquarists and aquascapers and uh aquarium lovers um as you probably know chris lukau uh yes we talk, also, we talk a lot yes yeah um you, you guys together on an on an an expedition there in Africa would I be, hope, I, would be incredible. I hope he can. I, I hope he can. I've proposed that would be incredible. Yeah. And let's let's see if the schedules are working and can do it. But you know, listening of what you're saying regarding my work, it's very. I don't know. We say it's very grateful, or uh, it's giving me a lot of joy because, uh, Guys, I've been following uh, AG since 2012, and I've been following your pictures and your Facebook, and I was like quite excited when I saw pictures of of, of your company. So, and now you are following me, and it's 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 very it's very nice to see how yeah, things can evolve and how mutual can inspiration can... for sure. No, I yeah. appreciate that and too. I think we should do we should do something as the first contact I tried to do uh, with you was regarding uh, the plant I found at 
in Zongo, the place where I found the the bulbages. And I have seen there that plant only there growing in the full mist of the waterfall. And it's a very short uh, stem plant. It's stem. I have sent it to Tom Barr and said I have never, okay. he have never seen that. And uh, that it's a stem plant. Very nice. It grows underwater. I've kept it for a year. Uh, unfortunately, at that time, it was, uh, I didn't do proper pictures, etc. So I think that 10 years after I contacted you, now we are talking together. I think I should go back to Zongo. Please do. Take some footage yes. of yes. it. And then try to send these plants and so you can try to grow it. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I, I would, would, I would be absolutely nice. be so honored. And, um, yeah, and that plant, I mean, if Tom Barr said he hasn't seen it, that, that's about as, as much authority as one can find. <laughs> if he doesn't have it, it, it probably doesn't, you know, it's definitely not in the aquarium hobby uh, yet. No, for it, sure yeah, it's I, not in the aquarium yeah, but it looked very interesting and it looked very useful. I mean, it looked like a very, it looked like a plant that could play a very unique role uh, yeah. in Aquascape because it didn't appear, it looked like it wouldn't get real, especially tall, for example. No, like no, it no. It had maybe kind of it a mid-ground mid kind of effect. Mid-ground, yeah. Yeah, mid -ground. yeah. It would be mid-ground. not a lot of great, mid-ground is, is probably the, one of the main areas where uh, we could use more options uh, in these, you know, plants that are just then unlikely to get very tall and, uh, can also be trimmed. And so being a stem plant with a mid-ground application, uh, could be very, very interesting for sure. I mean, yeah, if you're, if you're able to collect some and, and, See, and send to it, collect I, some, it be amazing. I have to go, I have to go there because, uh, now it's multiple years. I, I didn't went there and I got a friend, a friend that passed away that is buried there. So I want okay. to go there also for that purpose. So I sure. have to go there. And I soon I'm opening uh, a company that name is Congo Aquatics. So um, as soon as I'm able to export, I will send you some of this plant. Wow. Amazing. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, that, th was the plant growing submerged there? Is it? No. Or was it, it was, okay. It's what? It's not submerged. It's um, but you grew it submerged the, the, in an aquarium, so it could. I grew it. Like yeah, many yeah, yeah. I grew it submerged. Could do both. Okay. Yeah, and trimming. No, it was reacting to trimming, etc. When you nice. trimmed, it was dividing, so it's, nice. it works. Wow, it works because I don't, I don't think there's as many stemmed plants that we'd normally use in aquariums and aquascaping are West African in origin. I think that's a little less common. I'm not great at where no. all the different plants come from, but... You have some um, Ceratophyllium. It's a stem plant. Uh, you have some... Most, um, I think, are South American and Southeast Asian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have also family of the... Um, do you call that now? Now I'm more in the, in the fishes than the plant. I used yes. to be in the... The, the Bacopa family. Okay, uh, okay. We have some stems uh, that I collected at the same area of that tiny uh, stem plant. So it's the Bacopa family with uh, leaves, have some uh, like some teeth around right. the leaves. I will send you, I, I sent you the picture. I think you can see uh, on the picture where I got the Tupperware, there is a plant inside. 
You will see, I said it also to Tom, and Tom told me it's the same family than the Bacopa. I forgot the, the Latin name. Okay, very cool. So you can find some stem plants. It's very rare in Central Africa. It's not like Asia. And of course, you know, we, my, my Anubius obsession probably <laughs> dominated the conversation. I mean, it goes oh, without nice. saying. I, like, I love Anubias. Sure. But there's, there, and there certainly is uh, just a, a, a huge variety of amazing species of fish coming from the West African region as well. Yeah. Some, some, of my, some of my absolute favorite fish I find a lot of times when I would first see them or I remember when I first discovered them, you know, I was assuming that it was an Asian fish, but um, and always pleasantly surprised to find it was actually a West African uh, species. But um, yeah, and all the, the different, you know, what we call these variations of just Congo tetra, the reds and the yellows and um, are, are just amazing fish that are a little more unique too because you get some size from them you know these the the red the yellow even the classic congo tetra are among a pretty short list of larger species that we can actually keep in aquascapes though i have had yes. a problem with some of the african tetras uh even just the the classic congo tetra uh I've experienced them not really, I wouldn't say eating, but biting. Nipping. Munching. They're munching on Anubias, but just the new leaves, just the new, most kind of tender, the new leaf coming up, it's still a lighter green color. And I'm seeing, you know, these literally bite marks <laughs> taken out of just that soft part of the plant. Um, this was many years ago. It was a... Uh, big client installation uh, it was the first time we did a, a 10, 10 feet long. And pardon me, I don't, I don't do a quick conversion to meters in my head. No, I'm, do, I'm doing it in, I'm doing it by head. <laughs> right. Very large aquarium. Um, and it was for a client installation. It was a nubious dominant and uh -huh. a huge school of Congo Tetras in there. And, um, it may be the last time that I used that fish with Anubius because they didn't do it right away, but eventually they started, you know, no matter what or how much they were fed, they started munching on, on the plants and they wouldn't eat it down okay. to nothing, but it was more of a taking bites just enough. So when that leaf grew in, it had a bite taken out of it and it didn't look good. And I was like, oh my gosh, never again. Um, <laughs> and so I haven't used Congo Tetra of any type in a planted layout in a very long time, but I know it's relative, you know, it's a commonly kept fish with plants. And, um, I would think I was traumatized by this because I had 10 feet of Anubius and probably uh, maybe, maybe 100 Congo Tetras. And I'm in a massive school of Congo Tetras, which was really the, there may have been some other fish in there, but that was really obviously the focal point fish. And being in a client situation, when they're eating up all yeah, the plants, true. I mean, this became a real nightmare to... Uh, exactly. And the, the, the client's wondering why the leaves aren't looking nice and, and all of that. I was so traumatized by... But clearly it had to be them. I mean, something was eating on it. And, um, and I know some of the other larger tetras can... They don't always do that, but there are some that are 
you know, they'll bite maybe, on plants or maybe they need some fiber in the in the food, so they're compensating the fiber by eating sure. young leaves. Sure. I personally, I have not, I have not seen it uh, in my different aquariums. I have kept uh, Congo tetras for a long time, different uh, species of Congo tetra. Okay, you've never experienced uh, so anything, which is good to no, know. So, I think you should try again. Give another try. Yeah. Okay, I can say that you have an empty, an aquarium that have a very light uh, hardscape, no plants, so low maintenance. That means you don't have the time also to look after your aquarium as you're looking for the client's one because at home you want to rest. Oh, the one here as in, the, behind I, me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I've been wanting to incorporate some of the, some large Anubias in there, even though it's South, you know, it's a South American, it's, well, it's going What's to up? be, I just added a uh, tiger severums, some juveniles. Yeah. Um, they're still a little bit shy, but, um, but even in the South American themed aquarium, you know, you want to these big Anubias, the Anubias still work, you know, <laughs> For and they're so easy. Yeah. No, I really need to, I do want to, I do intend to, to, you know, I call it greening. You should give a try. For sure. Again. For sure. Uh, it's and a Anubia. feel. It's not you necessarily see. a, I know it's not a biotope. Um, I actually, I recently had a, a conversation with uh, George Farmer who- is working with a with a friend of his, um, and they're really the expanding this. Yeah, uh, Ty. yeah. I, I, I sent some pictures and I did a podcast also with Ty regarding awesome. his book and the awesome. No, he's a great guy. Really, very very smart. Yeah, very and, nice. Um, they're really really taking a, a a really cool approach of um, not not literal biotope. But exactly, yeah, you know, biotope inspired. You know, they're really trying to give more of a biotope nod inspired. to the natural feeling, right? And so they may not get the exact plants from the exact region or the, the, the same as the fish, sure. et cetera, but um, they're really trying to bring in that feel, uh, which I which I love because that it, you know, the more we kind of open it up to another category of exploration for just being you know, for aquarium creativity, I think that's so cool because sometimes you know, we say biotope we say aquascaping we say we, we say things that kind of denote certain principles or aesthetics in our in our mind and and uh because we want to separate categories right that's it it does help kind of create a conversation around it and then kind of go okay well this is you know that inspiration you see others doing uh helps form it as sort of a category that then more people can explore with a certain focus or philosophy. So I, I love what they're doing there. Um, and in the spirit of, of Anubius and the other, and other kind of epiphytes, you know, I've had what I call greening. Um, it's just a, I came up with the term just, you know, for lack of, of a, some, what else to call it, but it would be, if I were to add some large Anubius to my, uh, what's currently a hardscape only aquarium uh -huh. uh, here behind me, you know, that would be the greening style. In other words, there's no soil. Um, it may or may not have CO2, but, you know, we have more intense hardscape and then we just want to add the green to that. Yeah, uh, I, I just, totally you know, understand. Is, yeah, for which Anubias are just, you know, wonderful. I, I tell customers- Anubias and, my, and uh, Java firms for that. Perfect. Or Bolbitis, sure. the Bolbitis is 
It's a different type. The bulbitis, it's a little more challenging. It, it, no. it tends to grow better with CO2, but in a shaded situation. Just to put it in an aquarium, it's so slow growing anyway, but I, I don't know. I've, that one I've had more trouble with, but Anubias and all the different uh, species of Anubias for sure. And I'll even tell customers sometimes, you know, if you just were to add them to an aquarium like the one behind me, even if they weren't growing perfectly long term, you know, because they're not rooted down in the substrate and all these kinds of things, you know, it's an easy enough plant to just add some more or to remove the old ones, uh, give them to a friend or whatever, and yeah. you know, put in some new ones. This kind of thing is not impractical uh, because they're going to look nice for many months and potentially even many years, even if the growth isn't uh, extreme or, or, you know, it's going to be slow growing no matter what. But I say, no, you should it, be excited that it's not growing so fast uh, and just embrace this because now... You just in, it's just there looking very very pleasant, uh, and not growing in a way where it's like oh now I need to be trimming and there's too many old leaves it's growing too fast I can't keep up with it you know, um, so it's just great in that sense. But yeah, the, this kind of uh, of uh, hobby and wanted things to grow fast etc. Then maybe for the first five years, then after that. Most of the people pass to something else that right. still have the aesthetic, but is less challenging to maintain. And right, and, uh, yeah. So it's in that's the, the path I'm on too. I, I'm I'm really getting a deeper appreciation of the. Uh, you know, I do, I still do all kinds of styles because of my. This is just. This is my. Uh, this is my career and my, my, my job. That's also, your job, yeah. You know? So, you know, I'm needing to create things for a client and this is going to be a huge spectrum of tastes and aesthetic choices. So, um, you know, and then my job in that situation often is to try and deliver on more of what they want to see. Uh, but certainly yes. That's within job. that, I'm, I'm still passionate hobbyist <laughs> in my heart. So... You know, I still do all kinds of, of aquariums that are just my own personal sort of thing and just exactly what I what I want to do. And so uh -huh. when I do those things, I find myself increasingly satisfied with doing the uh, the simpler thing or the slower growing thing is just fine. Or even if, if the plants will do well and be happy without a CO2, that's, that's, that's totally fine. okay also. You know, it's all just... It's all fine. Um, now since it's a shift, since uh, yeah, it's a shift. Not me. I've, I've <laughs> it's it's a shift, and I've I've done also. Well, you have done aquascape, scaping long, long more than I than than I did. Uh, sorry, uh, more than I did for longer years. Uh, but I went through that. I wanted uh, very high light aquariums and growing very fast. Then um, after I'll say, okay, I wanted less space uh, growing, so I reduced the lights. Then after I passed to the the, bio, the biotopped aquarium. And now I'm in a new shift since maybe two years. Uh, and I think more people should do this because this is how nature is. 
now what I'm doing always when I grow, uh, I do a new aquarium, I have to do an emerge part. Like we are on the riverbank. So for example, I would put on top of the aquarium, it's an open top aquarium, uh, on diagonally, I would put a piece of wood that will go, uh, I'd say that's the, the water surface. Uh, the piece of wood would go like this and then go out and then there it will create a small swamp and I will put some terrestrial plants, some ferns, some uh, pandanus, some philodendron, uh, monstera and I can clearly see with uh, wide scold fish when I put them in this kind of aquarium, they, they have a completely different uh, behavior than when sure. they have an open top and there is nothing there, they feel more secure. But even beside that, um, you will never, it's very rare to see, uh, the fishes we keep, even if you don't do biotop aquarium, the fish that you keep, they don't live in rivers where there is no tree and no plants growing along the, the river bank. So now. I'm doing it more and more and it's, it's, it has become obvious for me. And also it's very nice if you have in your home, uh, yes. ferns growing like that, or, uh, papyrus plants growing, shooting like two, one me meter out of your aquarium. And it's something I'm doing more and more. And pe people are, are thinking that it's hard to do. I, I used to think that also that it's hard to manage that part. But as soon as you take a piece of wood, you put it uh, between the two corners of the, the aquarium and you start putting plants, one or two months after it will be swampy, you add another plant. It's In fact, it's very easy and it helps it also for the balance of the aquarium. You're right. To drag You're some right. nitrates. And... Right. So I think more and more people should do that. I don't know what will be my next shift or move, made, but I'm... Now I'm doing this. We see my aquariums, they're always a ferns and teen like that growing. No, you've, you've actually just, you've inspired me with that whole last uh, comments you were making just now, uh, for sure. And it, it, as you were speaking, I was like, okay, yes. Like <laughs> I started getting, I started getting some ideas and um, yeah, it occurred to me, I, I, I will, I'm absolutely going to add some, so I'm going to add plants to the aquarium behind me for sure. And then I even came up it with some ideas as, as you were speaking. I was like, why, why wouldn't I do that? Because especially the, when you talk about kind of the, the marginal or when you have the, you know, the roots are in the water, but the plants growing out, mm -hmm. you know, all of the, uh, philodendrons, monsteras, the pathos family, uh, I mean, I keep many, many house plants too. I have hundreds of house plants in my house. Um, but those plants, they, they are, many of them are very happy to grow. You know, we you take a cutting and just put in a glass of water to they propagate the new roots and, you know, and what is an aquarium other than a giant glass of water? <laughs> I mean, and, you know, so really there's nothing to fear in terms, and, it, and it's it's actually, like I say, it's not hard at all. I mean, a lot of those plants no. would be very happy to the, grow that the way. The wood you have in your aquarium, you just put, Take it, put it horizontally right. on top of your aquarium. That's it. I even, yeah, the, I even have an idea. Yeah, with the, with, right. And how to integrate 
even more Anubius there, kind of at the top section, right at the water surface and um, this kind of thing. No, for sure. And the, you're, you're absolutely right about the behavior of fishes and this sort of thing with the, uh, you're, when you're sim more closely simulating that riverbank kind of growth and just um, all, all of those elements that make them feel more comfortable um, it's definitely a thing. You see, the, you know, many of these tank-raised uh, cichlids and other, you know, some of the larger South American fish that we wouldn't normally keep with plants because many of them are prone to eat them or, or bite on uh -huh. them or whatever. They're herbivores or omnivores. Um, you know, they they still seem more comfortable uh, when we provide these elements for sure. Yes. Um, and, and, and I, I love the thinking and the inspiration there, but, um, and for the people who have big cichlids that eat plants, uh, and still want the, the greenish, as you said, it works very well. The, the green is not underwater is on the top of the aquarium. All my aquariums beside the one of my boy that is seven years old, all, all my aquarium doesn't have plants growing underwater. They're all growing right. on the water surface and around it. Uh, you have one stem of the, the fern going down, uh, the leaves of the yeah. philodendron that have to dry up and go down in the water and release some tannins. Okay, for sure you you will not have a pristine aquarium like the, the one you have behind you because there will be some tannins, some uh, vegetals decaying from the roots and things like that. But 100%, you will hang the light higher, but 100%, it will be so so much pleasantful to see and, and look, at it, look at it. And I if agree. you keep houseplants, you have the things at home to do it. It's already there. Right. Well, Thomas, this has been a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I've probably had six, seven, ten different occasions of new ideas popping into my head just based on your descriptions from the things you've seen That's in the great. wild. And um, like I say, I keep many, there's many screenshots already on my phone from your video clips and, and, and your work. And um, I just think it's fantastic and uh, love what you, you do. Much. And uh, it's been a, a, a real pleasure to connect with you in this kind of way. So um, thanks so much for joining me today. And um, let's definitely keep in touch, man. Uh, thank, would, thank you for some inviting collaborations. me. I, I hope we can do something uh, together. And thank you for uh, bringing me to Aquarium Everything podcast. I, I spent a very, it was uh, also an, an, an honor for me to, to meet you and to speak with you. Uh, and uh, I wanted to thank you also, all the people that have supported me and pushed me to do uh, that Instagram account. Thank you to, to Scott Feldman. And, uh, yeah, I never thought I would reach that, uh, that, uh, or to, to do podcasts, having pictures shared on magazines and things like that. I never thought, and I would never in the past, never thought I would reach that. So thank you everyone for that. Thank you. Yeah. Like you inviting me in this kind of podcast. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Thomas. Thanks so much. And, uh, look forward to talking to you again, man. No, thank you. Okay, take care.